The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we will continue to talk NBA playoffs. We've also got a special guest from the Miami Heat who has been with the organization for more than 30 years. He'll be with us in a few minutes. The King and I are ready to go. So Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former three and D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's do this. Appreciate that, Darlene, the GOAT. Monica, playoff talk. Oh my goodness. It has been crazy. It's actually kind of giving me March Madness vibes with the upsets and the crazy performances. I know later on in the show, we got Jose Pineda, who's on the, the Heat broadcast team. The team that's probably going to win the finals. Don't <laughs> at me. But <laughs> but let's talk about that, that series, Monica. How, how, how crazy is it, was it? You are so carried away. You got the Heat winning the finals now? The, you know the what? Heat conference finals or the finals? I think they have a chance to win the finals. I didn't say chances. I said you got them winning. I don't see why they couldn't. <laughs> uh, okay, that's a good answer. I see why they okay, so you said we're starting there. Heat Bucks, former series, series that is over. I will admit that I was in awe and not in the positive way at how much depth was missing from Giannis's skill set. I knew we couldn't shoot, but I know it was like that. And on top of that, I think as a team, they are so accustomed to him plowing downhill and the attention that he garners. It was also glaring that consistently, they didn't have anybody that could create for themselves. So, here's my thing. Richard Jefferson, people called him crazy for what he said. Hmm. But when you really think about what he said, his tweet makes sense. His tweet makes 110% sense. Like Giannis Antetokounmpo is a great player. Don't take it away. But at the end of the game, when you need somebody to get you a bucket, end of the game, you need to get a score. If you need to stop, yeah, Giannis is the, the dude. But you need a bucket? You need a, a, a main option. I mean, Chris Middleton, maybe. But you need somebody who can be your number one scorer. Because Giannis is not a scorer. He can't shoot the ball. And you can see, like you said, the skill set. There were certain things in the skill set that was missing. He's not that Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, takeover, end of the game type guy. You need one of those if you want to see success as, a, as the Milwaukee franchise. So this conversation got me to thinking about what makes closers closers. Besides their ability to be clutch and hit big-time shots, if we think 
let's go back to okay let's go back to the last few most recent games og ananobi hits that shot for the raptors um dame lillard before he got injured had a crazy finish right those are the first two that come to my mind in recent history but just when i think closers big picture in the nba we got to remember how the game is played right now and all of those were three three point shots right and so even if a team game plans or defends the three when I think of those closers, they have to have a well-rounded skill set because if a defense takes away something, I obviously have to be able to react. And Giannis literally is fantastic at one thing. He's just, it was just too easy to guard. And so he's definitely not your, your big-time moment closer. Chris Middleton, I, I want to give Chris Middleton more of an edge, but I'm struggling to because I even think he needs defenses to have collapsed to guard Giannis. Eric Bledsoe is someone who... Did not have a good series. I I know that he was tested positive for COVID, so I I hope that this isn't any type of lingering side effects from that. But if I was the Bucs, I would have kept Malcolm Brogdon, and Eric Bledsoe would have moved on in my mind. And I don't know what the contracts were like, but I think Malcolm Brogdon is a better point guard. I don't know about that. I think Eric Bledsoe is good i mean i don't think he played to the level that he was capable of playing but i i think he might be better than malcolm brogdon just me me personally at what here's the bus at what at what at being a point guard or being you know a what? you know what i'm a man i can admit when i'm wrong i'll take malcolm brogdon he shoots the ball better plays just as good enough defense i'll take malcolm brogdon okay but look here's, here's what the bucks need to do the bucks okay. are smart they need to go get bradley bill Apparently, CP3 is in the mix. What do you think about that? No. <laughs> like, that, that's, not, that's not what they need. I think they need a, a score, somebody who can go get you 25. They need somebody other than Giannis who can go get you 30 by himself. The closest thing they have is Chris Middleton, and I'm not sold that Chris Middleton can get you 25 to 30 at any night. I mean, maybe every now and then, but I'm talking about consistently. I don't know. And honestly, Chris Paul is making way too much money to be on the end of his career. I don't, I don't know who is going to really want to pay him. And they can. They probably can get him. I'm not paying Chris Paul 40 mil. Me personally. Not not at so, over 30. Producer Bruce says CP3 will make 85 mil over the next two seasons. They can go and get him. Here's what I think that you are uh-huh. overlooking when it comes to CP3. The attitude, the tenacity, 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 the integrity, all of those things that he brings to the court and how he just elevates an entire team. And I think he's still in, I think he's still in great shape. To me, CP3 gives you that point guard that we're talking about, except he's much headier of a basketball player. And I think CP3 has the ability to be clutch. He, to well, me, he can open up that floor. Okay, well... If you get CP3, that that's cool. CP3 is not going to win you a championship. I think you still need to get CP3 and somebody else. You got to get you a score because they but don't have that's a what score. I'm you. If you have CP3, he can set up Chris Middleton consistently, right? That's what I'm saying. I hear what you're saying. In a yeah. perfect situation, yeah, you go get your yeah. your Pippen, Jordan, whichever analogy you want you want to use. But to me, they still have a continuity point guard leadership problem. Okay, I can see that. DiVincenzo went to Villanova. We don't give other Big E schools love. No. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know what? Speaking of leadership and point guard, let's talk about how the Lakers would be 0 and 3 if it's not for Rondo. Yes, let's talk about leadership and incredible point guard play. <laughs> Insert Rajon Rondo, who can't shoot for nothing, but he can assist the living daylights out of that basketball and stick his big old palms in a passing lane every now and again and get some rebounds. But he's been stroking lately. Like, he's been hitting from the three. And that's what's crazy. That's that, I, don't, I don't believe – I'm not a believer. I'm not a believer. Never will be a believer. But he's been making threes. And they I mean, but I guess playoff Rondo. I mean, Bruce, you're a Celtics fan, so you used the whole playoff Rondo thing. But playoff Rondo, I'm not gonna lie to you, is a different type of Rondo. Without Rondo, the, the Lakers are 0 and 3. I think that's aggressive, but I follow you on them thought process. No, no they're 0 and 3. Rondo, Rondo saved the Lakers in the last two games saved the Lakers. Bruce. A couple years ago, a couple years ago, when the, the Celtics were playing the Bulls in the first round of the playoffs, uh, it was the year I think they went to the conference finals when Isaiah Thomas was having his big year for them, okay? Rondo was with the Bulls. The Bulls took a 2-0 series lead, and Rondo absolutely destroyed Boston in the first two games. In Boston, okay, if I recall. And then he got hurt, and then Boston just rolled through them after that. Playoff Rondo is – he's the special sauce for a good team. That's, that's all I have to say. And, uh, and that, that's, you know, and he's showing it again. <laughs> Bruce, say it, with some, say it with your chest. That's all I have to say. Drop the mic, Bruce. <laughs> big facts, big facts. Okay, here's, here's what I'll say to that, though, because we also got playoff P with the Clippers. I do think that for veterans – who were consistently all-stars or perennial all-stars, they just know what to do. They've been there, done that. And that's something that you just can't duplicate. I mean, I'd even argue that Rondo has top five basketball IQ in the NBA. Like, just some of the things he does out there, some of the passes, like the pass he made to Anthony Davis when he spinned off um, uh, P.J. Tucker last night, had where he put the ball at. Just like little things like that, like him being able to place the bar, him being able to make the right read at the right time. Uh, he de- he has definitely elevated this Lakers team because the Lakers would have been in trouble with the small ball. For those who can't see me, I'm putting small ball in quotation marks. Small ball rockets because it's, it's not small ball. You can't call it a small ball with the way that the NBA is going right now. It's not small ball. So before we jump all the way into that, let's just take a note of LeBron James is approaching his 36th birthday. He also became the leader in playoff wins with the last victory over the Houston Rockets. Shout out to LeBron doing big things. A guy in his 17th year in the league isn't supposed to be blocking shots the way that he was, but still, there's only one LeBron James. Arguably the GOAT. We're not arguing that today. Now, Let's get into this small ball conversation because King is really upset about it, people. And I, we're just going to have him elaborate on why it's not actually small ball. Although, before you take off, I'm just going to say this. When you're five, is six, eight, or six, five, even in today's league, that is still not the norm. And thus, the size of your starting five, predicated on the size of your center, is small by comparison. 
so yeah, you can make that argument. But with the way that the league is going, everything is perimeter based. You don't really play with back to the basket bigs. So a lot of the times when you have a big who's like six eleven, like Anthony Davis for, for for a perfect example. Anthony Davis is facing up. He's not backing down. Because first off, Jeff Green and PJ Tucker are two tanks. You're not backing them all the way down to the paint. No big is doing that. Okay. So when you look at it, everything that they do is causes a switch. And the shots that they're making, the Lakers take are tough twos. They're making LeBron take tough fadeaway twos. Anthony Davis is taking a tough fadeaway two. To be honest, if those dudes weren't like just amazing basketball players, you're really winning. Like that's the shot that you want as a defender, your opponent to take. You don't want to give away the three. You don't want to let him get to the cup. So if he takes a long two, so be it. That's a tough shot. So with the small ball, the only way, only place that you look at is rebounds. And I didn't look at the rebounding numbers, but I'm about to look at the rebounding numbers because I think this might either kill my point or might back up my point. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. <laughs> so when you look at the numbers, let's do this. Rebounds. Oh, I mean, yeah, I guess you got to. Uh, 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 uh. 43 to 30. No, but look, but on the offensive glass, it's only nine to six. It's not tremendous. So, like, when the Lakers shoot the ball, you think that, oh, because you're small, like, you're, you're just going to, like, automatically get the rebound because we're bigger than you. And all, honestly, what the Rockets make you do is they make you play small, too. So, at the end of the day, what you're really doing, because JaVale McGee can't play in a series. He, he can't play because there's always a mismatch. There's an ISO because he can't guard anybody on the court. And he's not that big of an impact on the rebounding end to where you can leave him out there and, and cause a mismatch. What they do, what, they start, what they're starting to do is put Anthony Davis at the five and put either LeBron, Kuz, or Morris at the four. So technically, I mean, Anthony Davis is just a freak of nature. But technically – they're kind of sort of switching to the small ball. They're just all big. Like they're just all six eight, six seven, except Rondo. But they got crazy wingspans, and they're just long. So they force you, the Rockets force you to play small in a sense. So I guess it's not really small ball. Okay, I got what you're saying. But I will add this. As you mentioned offensive rebound numbers, the Heat, or excuse me, the Rockets had seven points off of offensive rebounds. The Lakers had 15 points off of rebounds. And then this is the stat that stands out to me when we start talking about that size. 56 points in the paint for the Lakers versus 46 points in the paint for Houston. It was only a 10-point ball game. So while I agree with you in theory that small ball isn't like you got six-foot kids playing against five-foot-five kids, it's not small ball in that sense, I do think that even if Anthony Davis is not backing down Jeff Green or P.J. Tucker, he can shoot over them. I mean, LeBron, they're going to shoot over them. They have that advantage in terms of elevating and being in a better position to score. I mean, you have a point. But at the end of the day, regardless of what happened without John Rondo, who's actually probably the smallest guy on the court, the Lakers would not have won. Rajon was huge, 21 points the other night, for sure. What, let's see, 21 and what? Do-do-do-do-do. Dang, I just had my friend. I think 21 and 9. 21 and 9. Yeah. 21, 9 assists, 2 rebounds. 8 of 11 from the field, 3 of 5 from the three-point line. Everybody has their day, though. 
I mean, I would say that in game – what did we just watch, game five? In game four, that LeBron was, uh, turned on in the uh, fourth quarter. Wait, that was game – that was game uh, – that was game three. No, it wasn't. Was it? That's it? Yeah, because they're only what? up two to one. Right. You're right. It was game Yeah, they're only up two to one. I'm thinking of game two then. My bad, it was game three. Um, but speaking of game five, though, Monica, there's a game five – no, there's a game six. No, game five or game six tonight? Six. Uh, no, five. No, Did game you? six. There we go. Because they're so far ahead. There's a game six tonight. Well, is it over? Yep. Is it over? I don't know. I can't figure that series out. The Raptors be looking crazy, but then they find a way. <laughs> I can't. Bruce, is it over? No, it's not over because Toronto and, – and we were having our call yesterday, you know, the three of us when we were talking about, you know, the heart of a champion, whatever. They're, they're a gritty bunch, Toronto. But Monica was saying, don't compare them to the Kawhi Leonard Raptors from last year. It's not the same. The only thing that's the same is that they're a tough-minded group and they won't mm -hmm. go easily. I don't know that they're going to win game five, uh, but uh, they got all my respect, Toronto. Yeah, I don't, I can't figure that one out. No, I think it's um, it's not over. The Raptors will win the game. And honestly, if it goes to a game seven, I just, I, I don't think the Raptors are the team I want to see in a game seven. Like I just think they're that gritty and that tough. Like I, I don't think I'd want to see them in a game seven. No, I mean they're 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 a tough-minded group, but you know. I think one of the things that Boston figured out in game five was that you got to cut off the head of the snake. And that means don't let Kyle Lowry keep getting to the rim and finishing at the rim. Every yeah. time he went to the rim in game five, Daniel Tice was just standing there with his arms up and Kyle had to kind of either go under the hoop and look for a kick out or he ended up going in the other direction. So if they can continue that. Okay. And oh, by the way, Mark Gasol had the same number of points as we did in game five. <laughs> hey that that is a perfect example of how the game is being played you cannot play with a true big on the court anymore or you just can't play with Paul Paul Gasol on the court so much anymore Mark Gasol Mark Gasol or, sorry Mark my bad Mark Gasol did I say Pow too I might have said Pow also I think you did say Pow too oh, you, said, you, you said Mark you said Mark oh you did okay mm. well, well. I think he's just kind of old. All right, really quickly before we get to who's tripping, though, I just want to shout out the W because they're in the last season, last week of the regular season, rather, heading into the playoffs. And it is going to be a thrilling playoff run. Playoffs start September 15th on the ESPN family of networks. Hope you guys are tuning in. The favorites, as it stands, Seattle, Storm, Las Vegas, Aces, Candace Parker and the Los Angeles Sparks. And rounding out fourth, in a surprise, is the Minnesota Lynx. Shout out to Cheryl Reeve and that bunch. Crystal Dangerfield will probably be rookie of the year. So, yeah, it's been a tremendous WNBA season. Shout out to those women for keeping their foot on the gas as far as the social justice causes and being the pace setters for all of sports, quite honestly. It is time to welcome our very special guest, he is Jose Pineda, the Spanish language radio voice of the Miami Heat on the Heat Spanish Radio Network. Jose has been with the franchise since the team began play 
in the late 1980s. Wow, like what, what? that's an incredible consecutive year streak, Jose. We're gonna get to that though. Uh, nobody has a better feel for the team and the franchise than Jose. We're thrilled to have him because listen, the Heat are the hottest team in the league right now. Welcome to Buckets, Boards and Blocks, Jose. Well, thank you very much, Monica and King, and uh, it's, it's a pleasure. And anything associated with Bruce as well is great. And uh, it's always uh, fun to, to talk heat, especially after beating the team with the best record in the NBA the last two years and advancing for the eighth time to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's, uh, it's really a thrill. Mm. King, shall we start right there? Red, <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm interested to know, how did you even get started? You've been in this since the 80s. I wasn't even born. So you've been doing this longer than I was alive. <laughs> Please inform me how you got started on this. That's uh, that's another podcast in itself. I'll give you the cliff, uh, uh, the cliff version uh, of this, uh, cliff note version of this. Basically, uh, I graduated from college uh, here in Miami at FIU and uh, in marketing and sales, and and wanted uh, to work for for somebody at the time. There was only the Dolphins and some uh, uh, indie racing down here as well, but there was nothing else. There was no Marlins. There was no Panthers. Uh, there was no other team except uh, the, the Miami Dolphins. I tried to, to apply for them. I was a huge fan growing up uh, as a kid in Miami uh, through the uh, the undefeated years as well. I was like seven, eight years old when that happened. So anyway, I got a great re rejection letter from them. I still have it somewhere with a Dolphins logo. I was so excited. And and basically through a friend of a friend, I said like left to work for, for a team. And then there was this talk about a uh, possible uh, NBA franchise in Miami. And uh, really through a friend of a friend, uh, word got around that I would be interested in, and there was an opening. Uh, I got called. I basically worked for free. I was 22 years old, and uh, 22, 23 years old, and I got my foot in the door in sales the first year. I was the best salesperson that first year. Obviously, I was bilingual. I got into the Hispanic community very much here in Miami, which is so dominant. And uh, the rest is history. The second year, the gentleman who was doing the games at home in Spanish, wasn't able to travel, the Heat wanted to travel. I auditioned at a table in Boca in an exhibition game against the Washington Bullets. I kept uh, calling uh, Malone the wrong Malone. Uh, it was Jeff Malone, and I called him something else or whatever it was back then, I can't even remember now. I auditioned for the tape, I throw the tape in, I was told I wasn't I didn't have a chance. Somehow I got the job and 33, 32 years later here, I'm, I am still. So, again, it's a short version of that, but, but that's how it works. Gee whiz, Jose. <laughs> wow. So did you want to go into broadcasting? Or you were kind of like, this is fun, and I don't want to do sales yeah. anymore? Yeah, yeah. Yes, you're right. Uh, <laughs> not necessarily. Uh, you know, I was working long, long hours uh, in sales in the office. And not only were you doing sales during the day, it was myself and three other guys. One of them, which is still with the Heat, we're like six originals that have been here for, for like 32 years with the Heat. So, um, you know, we were there. We would work during the day. We would make phone calls and, and cold calls and get all this uh, all these season tickets, because uh, remember the first year we also needed 10,000 season tickets to be able to get the franchise. So we were part of that. And once that got rolling, uh, at nights, we were basically uh, the entertainment part. We would help out putting out, uh, helping the mas mascot get dressed or putting uh, the labels on the, on the shot on the floor for three point shots and for contests and stuff like that during the timeouts. That's what we were doing. So we were working basically from 7 a.m. to midnight on game nights. And uh, so I, I used to see the, the broadcasters at the time, 
come in on the 1st and the 15th. There was no direct deposit back then. And they were getting their checks in that time, and they were coming with shorts, and they had the games. I said, wow, that, that would be interesting to do. And I always was a talker. My grandmother used to say that. I used to give sermons by putting a, a blanket over myself as a little kid. you know. And uh, so I, I said, why not give it a shot? And uh, my Spanish was relatively good at the time. It's a lot better, actually. You know, it wasn't that great back then, but I, I've improved it and polished it. And, uh, and like I said, the, the rest is history. But I really wasn't, you know, trying to get a broadcasting job. It just happened. And uh, every year I pinch myself thinking it's the last year and it's been 32 years, basically 31, because the first year was, was in sales. That's awesome, Jose. I can certainly relate to that feeling of pinching yourself when you are just in a groove and having so much fun. And the thing you get to call a job is just something that you love and that you're passionate about. Okay, great. Now, this is not to be dismissive of your incredible story and your 31 years as the voice of the play-by-play. But we need to talk about this iteration of the Miami Heat, which mm. I think the only person in national media who flat out said that they were coming was Jacoby. Me. No, you didn't. You're not, you're not <laughs> national media. You don't, don't do that. I don't, we don't believe that, Jose. Oh, my goodness. I'm talking about during the regular season, said that they okay, were coming. Okay, okay, not okay, since okay, we got okay. to the bubble. Okay. Jose, well, what did Jimmy Butler, you, Spo, Dragic, Hero, the whole game, what did they know that the rest of the country just didn't know yet? Well, well let's go back a little bit, first of all. Uh, last, uh, last season, the Heat finished in 10th, two games out uh, of the playoffs. The year before, they got in and, uh, and got uh, uh, eliminated by Philly in the first round. The year before that, um, we got eliminated, and then we didn't have Wade, the whole Wade situation. Last year, Wade's last year. So this summer, we basically only had like $2 million in cap space. And if you think, if you go back, who the starting lineup was going to be for the Heat this year, probably at, at the point was going to be Dragic, which, again, remember, Dragic only became the point guard, starting point guard for the Heat during the, these playoffs. It was Kendrick Nunn, a non-drafted rookie, okay, who was the starter the entire year. Uh, the, the shooting guard uh, was going to be Dion Waiters. Uh, the, the, the center was going to be either Bam or maybe uh, Myers Leonard, who came over from the trade with, for, for Whiteside with Portland. And the, the power forward was going to be James Johnson. And then the, the other forward, or the small forward, was going to be Jimmy Butler, who was the attraction, who was you know, the big whale that, that, that Pat Riley was able to get for this summer. And then the rest of the team was – who knows? And suddenly, you know, training camp starts and the first few games starts and we have Kendrick Nunn as the starter, a non, non-drafted rookie. We have uh, Duncan Robinson, a sharpshooter, unknown, uh, unknown person as well, unknown player, second-year second player, undrafted uh, player as well. And then you have Bam Adebayo, who's only in his third year uh, at, at center. And then Jimmy, of course. And, and, and the rest is history now with, with the trade, I think, that was one of the greatest trades in Heat history. And we've had a lot of good trades, including LeBron. LeBron technically was a trade. But to get, uh, to get Crowder, to get Iguodala, and Solomon Hill for three players that basically were not producing or were not playing for the Miami Heat at the trading deadline and are now key, key, key players for the Miami Heat during this, this run and during this now Eastern Conference Finals run is really incredible. So from that point of view, you looked at the stats and you looked at the and you looked at the, uh, the 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 conference and you said, yeah, you know, Toronto, you got to respect them. 
you know, nobody thought they were going to be where they're going to be without Kawhi, but there they are and there they were. And Boston was going to be Boston. You know how good that they were as well. Milwaukee obviously was going to be, again, the number one team, number one team last year record-wise, number one team this year record-wise. They had the MVP. They had Middleton. They had the surrounding. They had the pieces. Uh, second best shooting uh, average in, or, or actually points average in the last 35 years in the NBA. So, again, they were up there. So, you know, Miami was going to be four, five, six, maybe seven. So that was the mentality, Monica. She was. You know, when I look at the Heat, it, it kind of looks like a bunch of guys who've been overlooked, a bunch of guys who were underrated. Like when you look at Kendrick Nunn not getting drafted, Tyler Harrow leading the NBA in the bubble in points, but nobody really talked about him as far as rookies and all that. Um, looking at uh, Jimmy Butler, I think he's a emerging superstar, but nobody really talks about him in those conversations. Do you think that plays a role into – uh, this team's mindset and how they go out and really try to, you know, they play so gritty with a chip on their shoulder. Well, it all has to do, and you've heard this word a lot, and it has to do with the culture. And it has to do with Pat Riley and the DNA of this team. As Pat Riley and Spolstra always say, this team is not for everybody. Jimmy Butler may not be for everybody, but Jimmy Butler is for the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat is for Jimmy Butler. And like Jimmy, so other, so many other players, and like a Kendrick Nunn, and like a Derrick Jones Jr., and like Duncan Robinson, and like so many others that have come before that the Heat have molded, that the Heat have put into their G League program and have developed in a way in the summers and get, give the players credit as well to be able to sacrifice so much and to know that at the end uh, of the rainbow there is some gold. And you see now what that happens with these players that, again, were not drafted, were overlooked, but Miami found something that was always a diamond in the rough. And that all goes to the credit to the, the Heat coaching staff, to, again, the structure that is, in, that is the Miami Heat. And this has been going on for some time since Pat Riley arrived here 25 years ago. It's incredible to say that Pat Riley has been with the Miami Heat now for 25 years. But you got guys in the back like uh, Anthony Mason, Bruce Bowen, Ike Austin. I mean, these are guys that came here that either were in dire need for, for help because they were in trouble somewhere else, became better with the Heat, and developed maybe with the Heat. Again, that they were not stars. They were undrafted. Uh, a guy like Udonis Haslam is a perfect example. You know, 17 years in the league, three championships. I mean, his, his, his pedigree is, is incredible. And again, a guy who was in France, who was overweight, who couldn't make it in the NBA, undrafted. So again, these, this is, there's, a, there's, a, there's a pattern here, and, and it has to do with the heat structure and the heat culture. And, and, and every year we have guys that are, you know, getting better. And right now we got four guys that are, you know, not playing. They're inactive every night. But these are the future maybe, you know, Adebayos or Derek Jones Jr.'s or – Duncan Robinson's or for the team or, or Kendrick Nunn, who came in second for rookie of the year. You know, so again, uh, it, it's, it's a system. The system works. And if you have discipline and if you have, um, I, again, the, uh, the professionalism that this team has and that the players have that want to become stars, uh, this is the place for you. So when you look at this team, a team that's been overlooked in a sense, and then you look at the team with LeBron, 
Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, a team who had the best players in the league at that time. What similarities do you see between the two? Well, it, it's, it's, first of all, what, what, I, what I give credit to is Spolstra that has been able to coach a team with superstars, with all five of them, all type A1 personalities, mega personalities, which is very, 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 very difficult to do. And now a, a team that maybe does not have that many A-type personalities, but that needs direction and, and, and that, that, that obviously Spolster has been able to focus in and to mold it the way, you know, what, whatever is presented uh, to him in terms of talent that was presented to him. So uh, I, I, what I see is just, you know, the same determination, uh, the same discipline. And, and it all starts out with really with Spolstra. I mean, when you, when you hear players, um, and again, he said it in public, I'm not going to mention a, a, a future, maybe Hall of Fame player, certainly a, a, an all-star that was here for many years. And he said, I have been through many, many, many teams in my career. He played almost 20 years in the NBA. And he says, this, this team, like the Miami Heat, I've never been through anything like that in terms of what is available to them, the weight room, the process, the discipline. Again, uh, it, it's just, it really doesn't change, uh, King. You know, it, it's, it's always the same. If you fit in, you work. And if you listen to, you know, if you listen to LeBron now, Many of the quotes that he gives, the quotes that he learned or he adapted from, from either Pat Riley or, or Eric Spoelstra, exact same words, you know, before practices, after practices, when you're facing uh, challenges, when you're blocking out the noise, you know, all these words, all these terminologies he learned from the Miami Heat. And he even said it when he left, you know. This was like a university form, right, Monica? I see you, <laughs> you know? You're right, Jose. I remember that interview and thinking, wow, you know, that's a great way to look at it because LeBron was so highly touted and so talented, but he had not had a chance to work under a legend in Pat Riley, right? And it's funny now that we look back and see Spo has been at the helm for 12 years. Yep. Um, and at one point, I feel like some of the conversation was whether or not he could coach LeBron, and here we are. Um, but when you look at Spo, you mentioned him being the common denominator between the two teams, like King just asked you. What sort of have you seen – how have you seen him grow from where you sit with the team? Well, I had the picture of him uh, in uh, 25 years ago as uh, a video coordinator, and he's got VHF tapes. King, do you know what VHF tapes are, by the way? <laughs> um, I know you're young. Yeah, I do. I used to watch Barney on, on, on that. <laughs> okay, good. So, so VHS tapes, uh, it, there's a stack of them. And, and I remember because my, you know, desk at the uh, old Miami arena was near his. And I remember this young kid that came in, you know, and, and he was there. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that obviously Riley saw something in him. Riley, you know, handpicked him to be his successor. And that's saying a lot right there. Um, imagine all the coaches that are out there, all the coaches that are available, all the great coaches that are, are uh, you know, in, in the NBA and, and college as well and European coaches as well. And, and to think that, that Pat Riley hand, handpicked, you know, Spo for this job. And, and then through the years of LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, which was not easy and winning two championships, Bumpgate, you guys remember Bumpgate? You remember the mm -hmm, yeah. and all that? Um, and now this year, basically remolding, the team from scratch and 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 uh, and, and really basically you know, growing this this young team. 
again, together with some um, veterans as well. I see him, you know, growing every day. And remember, he has Pat in his ear every day. And he had Dr. Jack also in his ear when we traveled every day. And he, had all, he has also uh, Ron Rosting, who's still on our staff as well, our original head coach, is with us as well. So he had a gap. He went to Cleveland for a little bit as an assistant coach as well, and Detroit as a head coach. And he coached the WNBA as well, the Miami Soul as well. And, and But now he's back with us, and he really never left us. And he's part of the conversation that Spo has almost daily with him. So he absorbs. He's a sponge. And he is so meticulous to everything that he does, King. He is so prepared for everything. And you hear that and you see that from superstars like LeBron, like Wade, like Bosch, like Jimmy now, of how the preparation daily is. There's no waste of time. And, and you just see him, you know, obsessed, just like Pat was, obsessed with his job and, and with, you know, being the best possible. And uh, I think that I think right now he's fourth best all time in, in NBA history and percentage wise of, of wins in, in the playoffs. Wow. Uh, you know, that, you know uh, based on a minimum of 100 games played, uh, he's up there. He's 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 uh, he's won more games as a heat coach than any other coach in heat history. And uh, I remember Pat Riley ta- having a, a conversation with Pat Riley one time sitting with him. And I said, coach, he's a couple of games. Uh, you know, he, he just passed Kevin Lockery at the time, one of our of the only six coaches, that's something else, continuity. We've had only six coaches in 20, in, I'm sorry, in 32 years, six coaches. There are teams that have had six coaches in basically uh, two years or, or three, three years. Yeah. You know, that's, that's important. And, you know, the, the team management, the, the ownership, you know, that's, that's also really important, the stability of this team and, and years after years. I've been here, like I said, for, for 32 years, but like me, there's six other people. People have been here 30, uh, 25 years or more. You have dozens, 20 years or more, 50. And that doesn't really happen much in, in, in the world today. But we do have that, and that continuity is for, for a reason. Going back to, to your original question, again, he just learns uh, every day. Um, in, in the summers, he goes and he talks to other coaches, NFL coaches, baseball coaches, college coaches. You know, he just absorbs. He's a sponge. And, um, and, and for that, you know, you know, he's a better coach and he's one of the better coaches. You're, you're not going to surprise him much. You know, he, he's going to be prepared and his staff is going to be prepared for any, anything and everything uh, that's, you know, brought up. And again, at the end, it's sometimes just talent that, that wins out. But uh, he's really prepared. Mm. Now, you said he's one of the better coaches. Here's an interesting question for you. Monica, you can answer this too. Okay. Where would you rank Spo? in top coaches in the NBA? Are you asking Monica or are you asking me? I'm asking both of you. <laughs> You're the guest, Jose. You first. I'm going to defer to whatever you say. I'll give it to, you know, what, you know, how, how do we, how do we judge then coaches? You know, uh, mm-hmm. we saw Billy Donovan, one of the greatest coaches this year, almost, uh, you know, and, and he gets fired. Uh, Nate McMillan, I think he did a wonderful job with injuries. You know, he, he gets, he gets, let's go, let's uh, let go. I mean, it's it's kind of wild how that how that happens. Obviously, Popovich is mm-hmm. is is right now number one based mm-hmm. on his five championships and his longevity. Only Popovich really has been uh, around more than than Spo. Actually, Spo and uh, Rick Carlisle came in the same year. Actually, if you want by seniority, Spo was hired before Rick Carlisle was by Dallas. So you could say that Spo is number two. 
But uh, these are these are great coaches. And, you know, I look around the league, and, and there are some great, 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 great coaches. You know, Doc Rivers I have great respect for. And he's a wonderful, wonderful coach. You know, the, the, the best coaches are the coaches that adapt. They adapt to change, adapt to the rule changes. I remember David Stern saying that all the time. You know, when they would change the rules on Pat Riley. Remember the, the big the years of the 1990s with the Heat versus Knicks? And the first one that got the 80 would win. The bad boys with Detroit. And then they changed that totally. And now you can't touch. You know, it's impossible almost to guard, you know, uh, a, a, a player in the league without fouling. So, you know, that's why scoring is up so much as well. That's one of the reasons. But you adapt. You adapt and you improvise. You know, that's what you have to do. I think I heard that in a movie somewhere. But Pat Riley says that all the time as well. You adapt. And, and who better than Pat Riley? And Spo has done the same thing. So, you know. Obviously, you know, Popovich, Doc, um, uh, you know, look at the teams that have won the championships the last few years. Uh, the Heat, obviously, Spo. Um, these, are, these are great coaches. And, again, they're very, there are a lot of great coaches around the league. And it's just a matter of, you know, you need – I always say to win championships, you need – A, you need talent. You can't win without talent. You need a little bit of luck sometimes, the bounces that go your way. And sometimes – and also you need health. And you need a combination of all three. If you don't have a combination of all three, you don't win championships. You need health, you need talent, and you need luck. And that, that wins championships. And obviously, a good coach helps as well. And I think that we have one of the best in the NBA. That's a terrific answer. I, I, yeah. I, I'd accept Jose's answer as my answer, King. There you go. <laughs> all right, um, Jose, though, on the X's and O's of 2020, your preference we don't it's looking like the Celtics are going to come out of this series but if just in case magical things happen which of those two teams do you think is the better matchup for you guys Monica I'll tell you what I told my son today he was 20 I have twin boys are 25 years old he asked me that and I was uh I, I snapped right back at him I, let me tell you something I'll tell you what I tell everybody who asked me this question this is like the hundredth time we will play the better team because the better team is going to win it doesn't matter who the Heat wants. I would rather play the team that had finished with the worst record this year in the NBA. That's not going to happen. That's not Toronto and that's not Boston. But usually the better team will win. Now, if you ask me what happened during the regular season, well, Miami won one game and lost two against Boston. Miami won two games and lost just one against Toronto. Toronto right now is down 3-2, I think that Boston is the better team. I am afraid of Boston. I think they have a phenomenal team. But again, uh, I think that at the end, you will always play the better team. Okay. I'll accept that answer. Bruce is pointing yeah. out in the chat, you got former Celtics and Crowder and Olenek now on the Heat roster. So there could be a little extra there. Mm -hmm. um, man, Jose, I bet you have so many more stories. And I just... I also, having been someone who's hustled in the media now for, what is it, 2020? A good eight years or so. Um, but to be in your spot and to have 32 years with your squad, you're almost practically a media unicorn. <laughs> well, you know, it's been a, a, an incredible ride, especially that I was born and raised here in Miami. Um, so all my friends, all my family, uh, school friends, high school friends, elementary school friends, uh, they're all Heat fans. So they all obviously are happy for me and also jealous of me uh, uh, because of the job that I have and, and being able, and I pinched myself, you know, myself 
uh, as a little kid growing up here in Miami. Uh, uh, again, uh, my background is, is really interesting. You know, my, my parents who, are, who are, um, are 88 and 89 years old, my mom's not doing really well right now, but you know, we've, we've had a wonderful, wonderful time, and they're huge, huge Heat fans, and they love to go to the games. But they, they left Cuba in, on, on their wedding day in 1960, October 23rd, 1960. They thought they were going to go back. They went on a honeymoon to Mexico. Things got bad in Cuba. Fidel came over, and they never went back. They never went back. They never opened their wedding gifts. And I was born here in Miami, my brother as well, a few years later. Um, and we were born and raised here, bilingual. Uh, in a bilingual school. And again, I never in my, you know, I would watch games on TV. Remember, uh, all we had of the NBA here in Miami was uh, CBS on, on, uh, on Sundays. You would have either the Lakers and the Celtics or the Lakers and the Sixers or the Sixers and, and, and the Celtics. That was it. Nobody else was on TV in the Miami market uh, back then, you know. So you either were a Celtics fan or a Lakers fan. And to me then to see, to be working with Pat Riley, which I was, you know, looking and admiring all the time as a little kid is just, you know, I pinch myself all the time. It's, it's just mind boggling to me. And to be able to have gone to the White House three times and meeting presidents and traveling the world. Um, and again, to be doing that in my hometown, in front of my family, in front of my parents, in front of my wife and kids, in front of my schoolmates is, you know, is unique and, and, and a privilege. And I and I and I cherish that tremendously every day. I really do. I really do. You wear the gratitude well, my friend. And of course, you're obviously excellent at the job itself. Now, listen. Before we get you out of here, you're well, who speaking- knows? Nobody knows what I'm saying anyway. So who would know, right? Somebody, somebody knows. Pat <laughs> Riley doesn't speak Spanish. Spo doesn't speak Spanish. The ownership doesn't speak Spanish. So who knows? Somebody knows, Jose. I don't know that. But look, I did want to ask you, and not that I'll, I might be able to pick up on some of it from my Spanish class. Oh, it's too fast. But listen, your picture, your background is the infamous, I guess not infamous, but the famous Ray Allen shot. Yeah. That saved the day. Do you remember, like, are there moments in your career where you very vividly remember your call? I remember that call because it was a terrible call of mine, and I can't, and it was, and if I tell you, what happened after that and the ride home, you would never believe me. But anyway, it was, I, I was, to this day, I'm not happy with that call. You know, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. And I guess I'm OCD, perfectionist, everything you want to call it. And I was not happy with that call. I didn't Bruce think it, was a, it wasn't a, it wasn't as good a bang as Mike Breen. Let's just say that. Okay. Bruce, it wasn't, you know. Bruce put in the chat to have you do it in Spanish. Do it over for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, all right, so it's LeBron takes the shot, he misses the three, rebound Bosch out to uh, out to Ray for the three, good. All right, yeah. uh-huh. all right, okay, here we go. Okay. LeBron buscando LeBron dispara el triple, fire rebote Bosch, Bosch a la mano Ray Allen, Allen triple, encesta Ray Allen, el gira ganando en este momento con cinco segundos por jugar. I'm excited. Sounded great to me. It always sounds more exciting in Spanish. Come on, you know that's why in the soccer games, you know, they play the Spanish calls, right? <laughs> ball. There, Bruce is ball. He's the crowd going crazy. The crowd's going crazy. <laughs> yeah. That was terrific. Boy, we still, we still had the block. We still had the block. Uh, uh, the green shot. You know, remember that Bosch had to block that shot afterwards in regulation, and then and then win the game in overtime. So, you know, that, that's something that sometimes is forgotten about that series and that sequence of plays. 
Uh, I just remember all the fans leaving and wanting to get mm-hmm. That's what I remember. And the yellow rope. Yeah. Yes, the yellow rope. There you go. Jose, well, it has been our absolute pleasure. Yeah. I can't wait to listen back to that call so I can be like, I know what he's saying, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you know, it's, it's my pleasure has been mine. And again, uh, this is just a, a little bit of uh, my 32 years at the Heat. It, again, it's been an incredible ride. I'm really happy and, and I hope I can be there for a few more years and call a few more games. And it's been really exciting this year. And, uh, and hopefully uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll face a challenge here, whether it's Toronto or Boston, Monica. Here's the deal. If you guys get to the finals, we're definitely having you back on. Okay. Well, that's a deal. That's a deal. All right. Super. Jose Pineda, the Heat Spanish Radio Network, the voice of the Heat, that is. Jose, thank you so much for kicking it with us on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. That was dope. You know the favorite segment on the show, Who's Tripping? And today, we got to take it to Norman, Oklahoma to my former Big 12 rivals, which I, that sounds like a terrible city, Norman. That's, not trying to just talk bad. Did you see my but <laughs> That sounds horrible. But their football coach, Lincoln Riley, who I think is actually a pretty solid coach, made a statement. And in this statement, he says, I think we're to the point now where we're playing games and obviously any active case or contact trace is going to have game repercussions. So just like we would with an injury, we made the decision to not broadcast that. That is coronavirus positive results, positive coronavirus results. You're comparing coronavirus to an injury. Lincoln Riley, what are you thinking? Monica, I'm gonna let you take a stab at this. This is terrible. I read about this and was like, dude, you you don't get it. And I understand the urgency. I have made room in the capacity of my mind to understand the urgency for football, Big 12, SEC, ACC. I totally get it. But what I cannot not speak on is the idea that this is not a public health crisis and that this disease does not have side effects or long-term effects that we know about. There's still so much unknown about this disease. We've already seen the NFL and the NBA at this point mention, and I can't, King, what's the name of the the condition? Myocard, what is it? Myocarditis. Myocarditis has come up. The NBA last week put out a memo about a different condition that makes the players susceptible to blood clotting as a side effect of COVID even after you've recovered. Shams Charyana reported that. Um, And then this week or today, I get an alert on my phone from Bleacher Report that there's already been a student athlete that has died as a result of um, complications from coronavirus. Now, it is his name, the young man's name was Jermaine Stevens, and he was a defensive lineman at California University of Pennsylvania. And he passed on Tuesday at the age of 20 from complications of COVID-19. So do I believe that we can just stop as a society? I do believe we should take a break. But I understand the idea that at some point we're going to have to figure out how to live with this. Whether that means masks are commonplace, gatherings are limited, everybody has to get vaccinated. I get all of that. But right now, while there are still so many unknowns, 
first of all, personally, I'm just so thankful that I'm not responsible for making any of these decisions because I would literally not want the health, God forbid, the blood and the life of one of my student athletes on my hands because we pushed through to play to have a season. And I get it, but we can't even say that on a 90-man football roster, one through 90 are not going to the NFL. You know what I mean? So maybe you got your 15, 25 guys at the max if you're one of the big-time programs that, that are going to the pros and they want to play. But everybody else, we can't paint this thing with the same wide swath brush. I just think that is a bad example on the part of Lincoln Riley. Um, to me, it's secrecy. It takes some of the power away from these kids. I just, I, that's just a bad look. I will voice my opinion. I'll keep this short. I think this is terrible leadership. Um, I've been at Baylor where, and if somebody was injured, the coach, Coach Drew, would not voice it to the media that this player was not playing because of an injury, because of an ankle sprain, because of uh, a bad shoulder, because of, you know, some type of injury that's not going to cause death. But for Lincoln Riley to say, because it gives the other team a competitive advantage. First and foremost, bro, we don't even know how the season going to look. We don't know if the competitive advantage is the game is going to get postponed. Like, That's the game is going to get postponed. First and foremost, you, 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 we don't even know how the season is going to look. Secondly, for you to sit up here and say, because it's a competitive advantage, we're not going to release our positive test. But what are you saying? Like, I, I, you're caring more about football than about lives. These players are supposed to be your sons. And for you to sit up there and say, we're not going to release to the media, like, bro, what, what is your main priority? What is your main focus? Your main focus is football and not health. So for that, Lincoln Riley, that's a terrible example of leadership. That is a bad judgment on your call. And for this week, you are tripping. Capital T, big tripping. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Okay, people, it's time to wrap this up. Thanks to Jose Pineda, the Spanish language radio voice of the Miami Heat, for sharing his thoughts on this year's team and the Heat organization and that terrific trip down memory lane with that fantastic Spanish call he gave us. Thanks also to our producer, Bruce Bernstein, and to our excellent editor, Tom Phillip. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. This week, the Mike Wise Show features the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio, Mark Kesticher. And next Monday, Mike will have Cassidy Hubbard of ESPN. He stole our girl, y'all. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams always has great college basketball content, and their show drops each Tuesday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong has a new show each Wednesday. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman are back on Friday with the Pure Hoops podcast, and their guest this week will be Sean Grandy, the radio voice of the Boston Celtics. And King and myself are back next Thursday with another episode of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Okay, everybody. I know we constantly say this all the time every single week, but coronavirus is not, it's not even close to be over. Please wear your mask, please social distance, and please wash your hands. Because if you don't wash your hands, that is just not sanitary. So you must do that and treat everybody like they are your teammate, uh, friend, even if you don't know them, because you could be saving somebody's life. Also, don't forget to remember the healthcare workers, remember the teachers, the people who are putting their life on the lines on a daily basis. Also, social justice. This is not far from over. There's a fight that us African Americans are continuing to fight. 
Whether you like it or not, you must respect and you must hear us. So if you like Buckets, Boys, and Blocks, please subscribe. It's free. Listen and give us a five-star rating. It would mean a lot to Monica, myself, Bruce, and the Pure Hoops media team. So for my co-host, Monica McNutt, and myself, King McClure, we'll see you next week. But until we meet again, uh, should I say it? No. I'll let Monica say it. Go ahead. Enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.